Okay, well, just going to take a few minutes this morning, and um, I want to go to the book of Judges, and this is actually, Joe mentioned Judges a couple weeks ago when he was talking about Ruth and Naomi and how that story kind of unfolds uh, during the days of the book of Judges, and um, you know, people like Samson and Gideon and all those, um, and, but basically, just for a quick background, the Israelites have been brought out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, uh, they got the Ten Commandments, they wandered for 40 years, and then Joshua takes over for Moses and leads them into the Promised Land. They fight all these things. It's a very violent time, lots of war as they attack these different strongholds uh, within the land of Canaan that, they, uh, that God has promised to deliver into their hands. So it, the process of taking the Promised Land was a very violent time. And, and at the end of that, when all of the missions have been accomplished, all of the land has been taken, Joshua kind of goes out on top. Joshua retires, so to speak, and kind of wanders off into the sunset. And, and in that time, Joshua was, was still in love with God. The people are in love with God. Things, things are sweet. Like, things are really good for the people of Israel and for Joshua at the end of his leadership. But they enter into this transition period where uh, Moses is gone. Joshua is gone. There's a new generation growing up. There, there's no more wilderness to wander in. Things are settling down. But it's kind of like, um, if you guys remember, some of you are old enough to remember the, the Chicago Bulls right after Michael Jordan. Or Apple right after Steve Jobs is gone, right? Or, uh, or the, the civil rights movement after Martin Luther King uh, is assassinated. Like the, the movement is still there. There's still something to do. There's still something to accomplish. And yet, Who's in charge, right? Like, who is this? Who's the fearless leader? Who's the one that's going to be the face of the program, so to speak? And so you have this new nation, this new kingdom, but there's no king. God had decided that there was not going to be a king for this new kingdom. Well, why no king? Well, the answer is simple because God decided that if people lived out the life that He had called them to, if they were in a right relationship with him, if they were in a right relationship with each other, there was no need for a king but God. Now, he, he would speak through prophets, he would speak through priests and the sacrifices and things like that. But if the people were obedient, there was no need for a king. Obedience needs no king because obedience allows for total freedom. If they had been walking with God, if they pursued him in obedience, they would experience total freedom. And so as we enter into the book of Judges, we immediately discover a significant issue. It's that obedience is freedom, but Israel was not obedient. And so uh, it, I, I would compare this to like uh, the, the time that they enter into. If the end of Joshua is the end of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe from the Narnia series. By the way, if you haven't read the Narnia series, please. You're 75 years behind Let's get to it. You're going to want to read all of those books. So if, if the end of Joshua is the end of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, the start of the book of Judges is like the start of Prince Caspian, where they come back to Narnia for the first time, and years have gone by, and things are just a mess. And so that's where we're going to pick it up, Judges chapter 2. And you're going to recognize this passage. We've hit it before over the years. Uh, we hit it quickly at the beginning of our, our Your Word series this past January. So you'll, you'll recognize this passage uh, if you've been with us. But Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had all seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. 
Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance. And it kind of describes that a little bit. And it says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. So Joshua's gone. The people who outlived Joshua are gone. It says, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's a big problem. Verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They turned to idolatry. Verse 12. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. So they, they are in this situation where they're taking land that wasn't given to them. They're fighting amongst themselves. There's idolatry. There's more violence. They are, they're kind of self-destructing. Just one generation removed from Joshua and his leadership, they had become completely disobedient to what God had called them to. And so then we continue on into Judges uh, 2.14, and we see the consequences of those decisions. It says, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight... The hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, and they were in great distress. So they're experiencing foreign oppression. Sin is destroying their families from the inside out. The nation is being torn apart. They're drifting further and further and further away from God, and they are experiencing a loss of the freedom that God had provided in exchange for their obedience. And so Israel had become a nation. They'd become really a culture of chaos where uh, you can almost, as you read through um, the end where Joshua is stepping aside, it's almost like one of those child actors that comes out of Hollywood where you've seen it before, right? They start super young and they're super cute and everybody loves them. And then all of a sudden they start to do one thing as they get into their teen years and they're like, oh boy, I see where this is going, right? They, They... they make a driving mistake. They make a, uh, a girlfriend mistake. They make a, a drug mistake. And you can see it coming. The self-destruction is coming, and you can almost see it, but you're powerless to stop it. That's, that's kind of the nature of what the Israelites were experiencing. That was Israel, and in many ways, that's us. Because obedience is freedom, right? It's a life of peace and contentment fulfillment even in difficult times. Obedience is freedom, but disobedience is a completely different deal. And in the midst of freedom, there's the knowledge that at any time we could do whatever we want. All right, we have that choice. And time after time, unfortunately, we choose disobedience. We choose the destructive pattern. We, we, first, we do because we want And then we do because we have to. We are stuck in it. We are not free anymore. We become slaves to the sin that we've chosen to pursue in our lives. Um, I mean, haven't we seen this? We see this in our own lives. We see this in the lives of the people that we love. We can see this right now in our country and in our world. Freedom of choice spirals out of control, and we start making choices for me. And we make those choices at the wrong time, with the wrong motives, and we make choices that are completely disobedient to God's design and what he wants for us and the way he has designed life and relationships in the world to work. 
And as a result of that, we live in the same realities. We live in the same consequences as the Israelites in the book of Judges. We, we take things or we expect things that are not given to us. Our families start breaking apart from the inside out. We, we start prioritizing things way above their deserved standing. And we, we idolize those things. And we experience violence. And we see ourselves and our families and our culture moving further and further and further away from God. And we end up dealing with the same garbage that comes from disobedience as the Israelites had to deal with. And so the question becomes, all right, how do we deal with this? Well, how did God deal with it back then? Um, And I think that we're going to discover something throughout Scripture, throughout our lives, that becomes a very important pattern. It's that God calls us to obedience, and that obedience leads to freedom. And unfortunately, we use that freedom to choose disobedience, and then that disobedience requires some type of salvation. We need to be saved. And this was true for the Israelites. It's true for our kids. It's true for our teenagers. It's true for us. It's true for employees. It's true for the world. So back to Judges 2. I'm going to read verses 16 and 18. Here's how God handled the disobedience of the Israelite people. It says, The Lord raised up judges, or leaders, who saved them out of the hands of the raiders. Verse 18, And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them... He was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies. See, when things got bad, God raised up these leaders, these judges. And these leaders, uh, this continues throughout the entire book of, of Judges, where these leaders would stand up and fight. God asked them to go to battle. He asked them to raise up armies and lead his armies into battle. He asked them to stand up and obey when no one else would. And through them... God would use their obedience, the obedience of these leaders, to guide his people back to obedience. And this is is a major truth of Judges, and this is the the thing I want to land on today. It's that disobedience always needs a hero. Disobedience needs a hero. Brokenness needs a hero. Pain and hurt need a hero. Sin, our disobedience to God's design, requires a hero if we're ever going to get pulled out of it, saved from it, moved past it, forgiven from it, and back to the freedom that we experience from obedience. It requires a hero. Now, there's been one perfect hero in Jesus. We know that he, he came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to be the perfect hero to cover the sin of mankind for all time. But when it comes to the judges, when it comes to the leaders that God raised up, when it comes to us potentially standing in the gap, a hero doesn't have to be perfect, right? Judges is a, is a very diverse roll call of heroes where uh, if you've seen the movie 300, Samson would fit right in there, right? Big, strong, win the war, but a little bit messy in the process. Uh, Captain America, that's Gideon. Humble dude, small dude, Weakest guy from the weakest tribe of Israel, and God turns him into a superhero. Kind of the Captain America story. If you like Jack Sparrow, go read about Jephthah. Definitely a pirate-type character in the book of Judges. So we're not not talking about perfect people. We're talking about willing people. Not just willing to go to battle. Not just willing to kill people for God. We're talking about people who are willing to be obedient to whatever God had called them to. The disobedience of the people always required a hero who would step in and be willing to obey. So what does that look like now in, in our world, in our, in our context? Well, in, in a world of evil and war, 
It requires soldiers who are willing to die for peace. When a marriage is falling apart, it's a spouse who will humble themselves to save it at all costs. When a friend betrays, it requires another friend who will sacrificially forgive and fight to restore that friendship. When someone's soul has been ravaged by abuse, by abuse, the hero is a patient counselor who will listen and guide them through that rebuilding process. When a family is way off course, it's a parent who will step up and change anything and everything to lead that family back to the right priorities. When someone, when someone that you love is running from God, it's someone who's willing to speak the truth in love. When, when you're not strong enough on your own, it's someone who's willing to be honest and welcome accountability. It's someone who will be obedient in a moment when disobedience reigns. Disobedience requires a hero. So a couple things to walk away with before we wrap up this morning. First thing, I want to challenge you, be a student of obedience. Be a student of obedience. This is an awareness of what obedience looks like. This is an awareness of what disobedience looks like. So it's looking around you, looking at your family history, looking at your own life, looking at your friends, looking at the world around you. What happens when people obey? What happens when people disobey? What does it look like? What does obedience look like? What does disobedience look like? I think so much heartache could be avoided by simply learning from the past. Like, what, what's the scenario that unfolded? What decisions led to that moment? What could have been avoided? What was unavoidable? What can you do to copy the positive uh, consequences of that scenario? What can you do to avoid the negative decisions that led to that scenario? It's, it's uh, going back to the Narnia thing, right? At the end of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, they screwed up, whether you like to admit it or not. Those cute little kids screwed up because when they left their kingdom... They didn't leave anybody in charge. And so at the end of Prince Caspian, after they found the kingdom in chaos, they're like, hey, how about you be in charge when we leave this time and kind of make sure things don't devolve into total chaos? They learned from the scenario of the past and applied that to their current situation and it were able to experience a different result. It's, it's, it's spending time in the Bible, giving yourself a chance to hear from God himself, learning from Adam and Eve and every family since. What did it look like when a family was obedient to God's design? What did it look like when a family was disobedient to God's design? Be a student of obedience. What does it look like? Second thing I think we need to do in this process is we have to be willing to let God deal with our disobedience. The things in our lives where we have stepped outside of God's design, we have stepped outside of his will, and we have experienced the freedom of obedience and yet used that freedom to be disobedient. You have to recognize it. Maybe, maybe someone in your life makes you aware of that shortcoming. And when it's brought to your attention, you have to be willing to own it. This is not anyone else's fault, right? This is your decision, and then you have to let Jesus deal with it. Let the perfect judge, let the perfect hero cover you with his perfect sacrifice. You have to let God deal with your disobedience. And then finally, it's this. Fill the void of obedience. I'm probably not shocking anyone here of the, of the uh, dozens minus a couple people in attendance this morning in person and the thousands watching at home, I'm probably not surprising anyone to say that there is an obedience void in the world today. 
There is an obedience void in our communities today. Fill the void of obedience. There are opportunities. There will be opportunities. First thing, in your own life, to take a step back and, and evaluate and be like, man, I need to go this way in order to be obedient and align myself with God's design in my relationships, in my work ethic, in my priorities, uh, with my money. Uh, when it comes to dating, we've got a couple people dating in the house here today on this rainy Sunday morning. How perfect, right? And all of those things, making sure that we are obedient. We are filling the void of obedience in our lives. But then finding those opportunities to lead others back to obedience as well. By the example of our own obedience, when no one else is being obedient, by taking a stand for obedience, maybe that's speaking it out, or maybe simply just uh, remaining firm in what God says in the midst of people who are being disobedient. It might mean standing in the gap on their behalf by praying for them, by encouraging them, by explaining to them why the path that we're taking is not right, by, by answering God's call versus pursuing other priorities. Uh, an example of this would be the, the Safe Families for Children ministry that we're partnered with. So many kids who, are, who get stuck in the foster care system and end up uh, in the hands of the state, which is a positive thing to some degree, and yet we have this ministry that we're partnered with called Safe Families for Children. Um, and it's an amazing deal. And, and they find these host families who will take kids for a couple days or a couple weeks or a couple months just to keep them out of the system while their family kind of gets things in order. Um, and that's a very powerful thing. And we're, we're looking to engage more families in that. So we'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to be approved as a host family. But that's just one example of standing in the gap of obedience on behalf of someone else and whatever they're facing in their lives and allowing them to experience something different. And this isn't about knowing the outcome. This isn't about knowing how it's going to play out. It's simply about following the path of obedience and allowing God to bring about his outcome in his time. Be willing to fill the void of obedience. It's being a hero. I mean, every movie you've ever seen includes someone choosing to take someone else's struggle upon themselves. Sometimes it's a violent movie. Sometimes it's a tearjerker, but in some way, it's someone stepping into someone's life, being willing to carry a burden for them, and us being willing to do that, obedient to forgive, to represent Christ, obedient to speak, to act, to serve, whatever it is that God's calling us to, knowing that just like the judges, he's going to empower us through it all. In a world of disobedience, you can be a hero to lead people back to obedience and experience the freedom that we've been promised in the midst of that. Let's pray. God, thanks for making this day possible. I know it's wet. I know it's nasty, a little bit chilly, and yet we thank you for the ability to uh, sing together, to jump into your word for a few minutes. Uh, I pray that you would, uh, throughout this summer, continue to bind us together as a church. Help us to be obedient to what you've called us to as as a corporate body and as individual families and as individual people. And God, as we come through this summer, give us moments to celebrate, give us moments of excitement, and God, lead us into the fall and into the future, uh, excited about what you're doing, excited about what you have planned for us, um, and even more so excited about the people that you want us to reach well into the future. God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us, those of you here under the pavilion, and thanks for joining us at home. Appreciate you guys, and we will see you next week at 11 o'clock.